going to ask you to open up in your Bibles tonight to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. In my own personal Bible reading uh, over the last couple of years, I have discovered that the oft-neglected book of 2 Chronicles, and 1 Chronicles as well, but 2 Chronicles is... Uh, chocked full of wonderful, delightful, spiritual truth. You wouldn't know it by how much you maybe hear it preached on or things of that nature. And part of the reason is because Chronicles tells many of the same stories as the books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. It tells those stories from a different perspective, that of, of after the exile. It was written to encourage the exiles um, in the faith uh, and to keep pressing on. But anyway, uh, I, I, I found Second Chronicles to be absolutely uh, delightful. And if you would look at the study Bible in my office and you would flip through Second Chronicles, um, I still haven't decided if I really like writing in my Bible yet and underlining stuff, so uh, you would find really light pencil marks underlined uh, throughout all of Second Chronicles, um, which are things that just jumped out to me. Uh, as I was reading through this book. And so this uh, series, which I guess is called Lessons in Chronicles, because I'm just not that creative, um, is really just the fruit of my own reading and Bible study the last couple years. I've, I've underlined these things. I've also had this great aspiration that I, I'm going to write a, a, a commentary on Second Chronicles because nobody else has. There's not any. Um, and because I'm trying to catch up with Kevin DeYoung. I'm three kids behind him and 11 books behind him. So... Um, I got a long way to go, but uh, I have no idea what I'm, where I'm at right now. Totally lost. Anyway, uh, we're going to go through Second Chronicles together, and, and it's going to be a little different. It, 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 we'll probably read the whole chapters, uh, and then I'll just kind of draw you back to one, a couple verses in the chapter, and, and, and show you. I guess I won't. It, it's ultimately something that jumped out to me, and, and, and sort of a sermon kind of popped out as I was as I was reading. So that's a lot of where this came from. Uh, I read through it a few years ago. Uh, I'm in the process of reading through it again, and I just, I, again, I just found it to be delightful, something I hadn't spent a lot of time in, and so uh, that's, that's where we're at. So I'm going to read all of Second Chronicles 1 with you, and then we will go back and just look at uh, a few verses right in the middle for our study tonight. So hear God's Word, read for you, Second Chronicles 1, verse 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families. And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon. For God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the desert. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to place, uh, to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up. To the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. 
That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you ever will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon, from there, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Ku. The royal merchants purchased them from Ku. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. I'll direct your attention back to verses 7 through 12. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you've shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you ever will have. This is God's word. Let's pray together before we study it. <coughs> Lord God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the freedom we have to study your word uh, here in America we, uh, Lord, ask that you would help us not to squander that freedom, but you would take this truth and you would plant it deep in us, uh, that we might become uh, people who bring glory to your name uh, because of your work in us. So, Lord, we pray that you would work through the preaching of your word tonight. We pray that you would build your church. For Jesus' sake, amen. I have to ask, if God came to you and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you, what would you ask for? Carl, what would you ask for? You were playing with your baby, I'm sorry. What would you ask for? You can't ask for what Solomon asked for. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to ask for. I shouldn't have asked you. You know what I'd ask for? Nope. A buck? That'd be, that'd be cool. What I'd really ask for, though, is the ability to sing. I've thought about this for a long time. I've always been jealous of those pastors who can preach and sing. You know, some pastors are like bad preachers but good singers. Like, that's fine. 
But the guys who can preach and sing, you know, Todd Kuparis, Jim DeZue. I went to a wedding this weekend. This dude was like this tall. He was this tall. I was going to say more about his appearance, but that wouldn't have been helpful. Um, I was going to say he was bald, and then I saw Jerry Shepherds and thought, I think I'm just going to say he's this tall. And uh, he officiated the wedding we were at last night, and he played the piano, and he sang, like, powerfully. I mean, he was just a little man, but you would not have known it by listening to his singing or preaching voice. And I was like, man, I am jealous of that guy. Not only can he sing and preach, he probably can charge double for a wedding because he's doing all of these various things. But anyways, ultimately that all is to say I wish I could sing, but I can't. At least I cannot sing well. And so I've always thought if God came to me and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you, that's what I'd ask for. I said, God, I really want to sing. I want to be able to sing to sing well. Now this is, of course, exactly what God did for Solomon. Right? God comes to Solomon in verse 7 and says, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, what did Solomon ask for? Did he ask for wealth? No. Did he ask for power? No. Did he ask for the death or downfall of his enemies? No. Did he ask for the ability to sing? No. He asked for wisdom and knowledge. Right? He asked for wisdom and knowledge. Verse 10, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people... For who is able to govern this great people of yours? He asks for wisdom and knowledge. I want you to notice with me a few things about this request. In the first place, in asking for wisdom, Solomon is just asking God to enable him to do what God has called him to do. In asking for wisdom, he's just asking God to enable him to do what God has called him to do. Uh, Look at verses 9b and 10. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon looks out on the people of God in Israel and he sees how numerous they are and he is overwhelmed by the task before him. And he, he just asks God to enable him to do what God has called him to do. This is always a great thing to pray for. I can't tell you how many times I've asked God to give me what I need to be be a good pastor. I can't tell you how many times I've asked God to give me what I need to be a good father. God calls each of us to various things. It's good and appropriate and proper for us to ask Him for the resources to, to do those things well. Right? So if God's called you to be an elder or deacon, you, you, you ought to ask Him to give you what you need to serve well in those roles. If He's called you to be a mother or father, you, you're to ask Him to, to give you what you need to serve well in that capacity. If He's called you to teach or to serve on a committee or, or um, uh, if He's called you to be a kid even, right? ask Him to give you uh, what you need to serve Him well in that role. Right? Solomon is just just asking God to give him what he needs, to do what God has called him to do. Secondly, in asking for wisdom, Solomon is acknowledging that those who lead God's people need wisdom, don't they, Carl? Those who lead God's people need wisdom. Kings like Solomon 
need wisdom because as he says, who is able to govern this great people of yours? The task is daunting. But what's true for kings is, is, is true for all God's people who lead. Right? Pastors need wisdom. We look at our congregations, we see different people with different personalities and different preferences going through different situations, and uh, we need wisdom to lead well, to navigate the complexities of it all. Parents, again, need wisdom. Raising children is, is difficult today. Between the, the, the busyness of sports, extracurricular activities, the influence of social media, the sexual confusion that is all over our society, right? Parents need wisdom to raise their children. Um, youth group leaders need wisdom, right? Again, many of the same reasons. Um, Sunday school, catechism teachers need wisdom. The list could go on and on. If you're in any position of leadership over God's people, you need wisdom. Solomon acknowledges that here. He, he gets that. Of course, we could turn that on its head. We understand that we need those who lead us to be people of wisdom, right? And so we ought to pray for God to give our leaders wisdom. We ought to pray for God to, to give our pastors wisdom. We ought to pray for God to give our parents wisdom. We ought to pray for God to give our elders and deacons and teachers and, 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 and whoever's ahead of us wisdom. Because those who lead God's people, they need, they need wisdom. That being said, as Solomon asks for wisdom here, we, we can't help but realize that, that even as wise as, as he was, God's people ultimately needed one whose wisdom exceeded his, didn't they? For the fact is, Right? As wise as he was, Solomon, Solomon wasn't perfect. Solomon made mistakes. Solomon did foolish things. Solomon's sin still got in the way. And you might remember that as a result of his taking many foreign wives and turning his heart away from the Lord, the kingdom was taken from his son Rehoboam. So as wise as Solomon was, God's people needed one wiser to lead them in the way of salvation. Of course, we, we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we see who that wiser one is, don't we? We see who that greater Solomon is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who amazed people with his understanding already as a young boy. He is the one who does all things wisely and well, Mark tells us in his gospel. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Paul writes in Colossians 2.3. Third, in asking for wisdom, Solomon, he pleases God. He pleases God. We read in verses 11 and 12a, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. It's interesting, I think, when you read verse 7, you see God come to Solomon with this invitation. It seems like God has basically given Solomon a blank check, doesn't it? Whatever you want, almost like, you know, the genie in Aladdin. He's giving him a blank check. But here, when we get down to verses 11 and 12, that doesn't seem to be the case, right? God says, since you asked for this and not these things, I will give them to you. In fact, Matthew Henry sees all of this as, as a test for Solomon. He says, God bade him ask what he would, not only that he might put him in the right way of obtaining the favors 
that were intended him, but that he might try him, how he stood affected, and might discover what was in Solomon's heart. Men's characters appear in their choices and desires. What would you have tries a man as much as what would you do. Thus God tried whether Solomon was one of the children of this world or the children of light. Matthew Henry says it was, it was, it was a test. God here is, is testing Solomon. He was seeing what was in Solomon's heart when he asked him this question, when he set before him this invitation. Of course, if it was a test, Solomon passed with flying colors, didn't he? The Lord is pleased with what Solomon asked for, and, and the Lord not only honors it, but, but the Lord adds to it. Look at the last half of verse 12, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Isn't that awesome? The Lord was so pleased that Solomon didn't ask for wealth, riches, and honor, that he added to his request the blessings of wealth, riches, and we're seeing some. God is so kind, and here we're seeing something that Jesus would articulate in the New Testament, aren't we? When he'd say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Solomon, with his request for wisdom and knowledge in order that he might govern the people of God, he was seeking first the kingdom of God. And God added to him all these other things as well. What an incentive to seek first God's kingdom. The temptation is always to seek first our own little kingdoms and to live for wealth or riches or honor, thinking that if we don't live for these things, we'll miss out on these things. Somebody else will get these things. But God honors those who seek first His kingdom. And He will add blessings innumerable to those who seek first His kingdom like Solomon did. Now, I asked you at the beginning of this message, what would you do if God came to you and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you? Well, what if I told you that God has come to you and said this? God has come to you and said this. He said this to all His people, not just, not just Solomon. When the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in Matthew 7, this is what He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And again in John 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Friends, God hasn't just invited Solomon to ask for anything. He's invited you and me to ask for anything as well. Now, the problem is we misunderstand these New Testament passages. We rip them out of context. Remember what I said this morning when it comes to understanding the Bible. It's the same slogan as real estate, location, location, location. Location makes all the difference. In both Matthew and John, these invitations by Jesus are uh, to ask Him for anything, are given in the context of deeply spiritual teachings. In Matthew, when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, it's given in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just talked about difficult things like pursuing righteousness, 
holiness, and loving your enemy. He's talked about giving to the needy and enduring persecution and storing up treasures in heaven and not worrying and not judging. And then in that context, he says this thing about ask and it will be given to you. And that verse I quoted from John, it's found in what's called the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 18, and that has another deeply spiritual portion of Scripture where Jesus talks about abiding in Him and bearing much fruit, and where He talks about enduring persecution, saying the world will hate you because of me, and where He talks about Christian unity, Father, make them one even as, even as we are one. Okay, these are, these are deeply spiritual sections and portions of Scripture. And so when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, and ask me for anything in my name and I will do it, our minds should not run to physical blessings and benefits as they often do, because that is not where the text is. Instead, our minds should run to spiritual and heavenly blessings and benefits. Our minds should run to the grace and spiritual resources we need to live these lives that God has called us to live, these lives of abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, these lives of enduring the hatred of the world, these lives of pursuing righteousness and, and, and of forgiving our brother and of not judging. Okay, Solomon asked for wisdom because that's what he needed to serve God and God's people well. What do you need to serve God and God's people well? What do you need to be a faithful citizen in Christ's kingdom? Maybe you need the same thing as Solomon, like Carl said. Maybe you need wisdom. We live in a complex world. To navigate life in this complex world, we need wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask God for it. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Maybe you, need, maybe you need love. I pray often for love. I think I've told you this before. Like, I can look on the outside like I love everybody, right? But I know what's going on in here, and sometimes I don't feel that much love towards everybody. I do to you guys. I mean to people who aren't here, of course. But I pray, God, you've called me to love my neighbor. You've called me to love this flock under my care. Help me to love them. Give me grace to, to do what you've called me to do. Maybe what you need is the strength to forgive someone. God calls us to forgive one another. You know, you know there's someone you need to forgive, but thus far you found it difficult or even impossible to do, ask God for the ability to forgive. Maybe you, need, maybe you need a generous heart. Maybe you need patience. Maybe you need joy. Maybe you need strength to endure persecution or suffering. I don't know, but I bet, I bet you know. And even as God came to Solomon long ago and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you, so does God come and say the same thing to us. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. The question is, will we ask God for the spiritual graces that He's promised us in Christ or not? Let's pray together.
Lord God, you give us everything we need in and through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. When it comes to serving you and your people, Lord, we are, we are people in need of much. Forgive us for not asking for the graces that we need. Forgive us for not asking for love. Forgive us for not asking for uh, forgiveness. Forgive us for not asking for wisdom. And help us to be people who do look to you for all things and who do ask for all that they need to serve you well in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand for the parting blessing and then we'll sing our closing song together. Dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. We're going to close by singing one out of the grace altar hymnal, 625. 625, this is, Lord, listen to your children praying. 625, and... We'll just sing it one time through, Karen. Sound good?